conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Marjani Rawls. We're talking all about the 1986 movie, The Fly, today. Do not confuse it with the one from the 50s, because that's definitely not what we're talking about, and I haven't seen that, so it would be a little tough to talk about that one. But Marjani, you told me this is the only Fly movie, so <laughs> have you seen the 50s version or the 50s movie by the same name? I've seen the 50s version. Just a disclaimer here, uh, the 1986 version is my favorite movie of all time. So, like, <laughs> but I've seen it. It's the 50s version is it's good for what it is. Like, the ending is probably like the most famous for because, like, the person's like an actual fly. And then, and <laughs> like, the before a like brown spider eats him. <laughs> so, like, and it does the whole like, you know, help me, help me thing it's good i mean like it's based off it's more based off the short story and kind of like more of the mad scientist uh aspect of that i've seen it uh of course i think we we just talked about the fly too uh i don't really consider that a fly movie like it's if you really want to just i guess complete the story and you have time to kill you can watch like the eric stoltz one but there's a reason that gina davis like refuse to be in the second one like it's the drop off in quality is just horrible yeah you mentioned this was based off of a short story have you read that i did not realize that going into this so i did not end up reading that yeah i i've read that it's it's different like he the and the short story they call it like the disintegrator regenerator but like there's there's a different version to it uh but it's good. Everybody should read it. Like it's it's definitely like science fictiony. It's probably it's a reason like where I think they named it uh, one of the greatest like science fiction stories of not. But like it's it's good. Everybody should read it. Like it's loosely based off. Like there's some elements in the 1986 version, but like Cronenberg kind of takes it in a different way when he did it when his uh, re rewrites for the script. Yeah. So. With this movie being directed by David Cronenberg, you have this director who has done quite a bit in sort of this horror realm. And I know Videodrome is a movie that people keep bringing up, and I have not watched it just yet, but don't worry, it is on my list of things to do. And then obviously he did The Dead Zone, which is a Stephen King adaptation, and I think he just really has a knack for these kinds of movies. And granted, I haven't seen everything in his filmography, and there's still a lot for me to dive into with Cronenberg. But when I was watching this, you could definitely get this sort of similar vibe to just how he directs his movies, especially after having watched The Dead Zone for me anyway. So I found that very interesting. And then, you know, you mentioned Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum. Those are our two leads, and they're fantastic in those roles, too. It's a movie in the 80s, but it's not one that necessarily feels like you couldn't imagine it just being in the present day at the same time. You know, obviously, what he was working on was so far advanced, it's not something that actually exists still today. And who knows if teleportation is a thing that will ever exist. Well, it would be very convenient. It would, you know, probably put a lot of people out of jobs. <laughs> yeah. Cronenberg's uh, also done like movies like uh, The Brood, which I think you you would, well, the, the final scene you would get squeamish for, but like, that's a crazy horror movie. He did Scanners, uh, Crash, which is a crazy movie. Um, the fact that like the fly movie is so closed off, like you, you only really take, spend time with three characters. You, you spend time with Seth, you spend time with Veronica and you spend time with status. And they're all at first. And there's like this fatal attraction esque love triangle in the first act. But um, even with like Seth's like apartment, it's a whole different world. Like you only, you really kind of spend only some 
parts of the movie outside interacting with other people. But like with this whole mad scientist thing that Seth does and uh, Jeff Goldblum does a a tremendous job, I think, portraying him like he's enclosed off into this world where he's working on this like teleportation thing, which is his life work. You know, here comes Veronica, who at first is like looking for just like looking for a story. And then all of a sudden, like there's this chemistry between them that turns into like this twisted love story as she's trying to shake off her previous thing with her editor. (laughs) Yeah. So like, yeah, it's I love that. Like this whole story is just really between it's really between Seth and Veronica, but like it's so enclosed that you just get immersed in these two characters. And then you have Cronenberg who makes a cameo as the gynecologist. <laughs> so Which I thought was funny, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think in the second half of the movie, her editor Stathis, I believe, that's such a weird name. Yeah. Plays a more prominent role. And he's kind of just this gross dude who kind of just wants what he wants. And it's a very typical power move. And you also see Seth turn into that. It's like he becomes the exact opposite of everything he was before he went into the machine. What's funny, because like you think about like Status and, and Seth, and there's two transformations here. So Status in the beginning of the movie is a very gross using his whatever power he has left over Veronica, like sending the cover to Seth, like about the story, even like at the end of the first act, like propositioning Veronica is like, what about just sex? Like that's <laughs> yeah. like looking at it now, this is a me too story. Like this is a gross, like sexual harassment story. Like they, they had this relationship. She's interested in somebody else and he's doing everything that he is to kind of hold on to her. Uh, like even like showering unannounced at her apartment, which was, I'm like, wow, this is like, I know this is the eighties, but this is very like fatal attraction, like like I just said. But like, even with Seth, like in the three acts, he's taken these like transformations. Like when you meet him in the first act, he's just kind of like this like quirky scientist. Like his heart's in the right place. He's, maybe he's a little naive, but like he just really wants to change the world. And then. Mm-hmm. And the moment of weakness when, you know, Veronica goes back to state this to try to like break things off, he gets he gets hasty and he, you know, teleports himself. And then you start seeing the emotional transformation starts happening slowly with the physical thing. And he becomes, you know, like jealous and very like impulsive and very like brash. And then that manifests into like the third act where he starts to change outwardly where you see all these like disgusting changes, like the acne losing his hair, losing his fingernails, the fly legs, like coming out of him, <laughs> the fly legs coming out of him, like throwing just up on my hair, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like not being able to eat food and like th- having to use enzymes to eat things like eating sugar. Like I love how Cronenberg does like the little subtle things like, like they're in the coffee shop and he's just pouring tons and tons of sugar in his coffee. Like it's slow, 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 but it gets more and more horrifying. And I can't even imagine how many hours Jeff Goldblum had to sit in makeup and, you know, get all of this stuff attached to him because eventually he's in like this full body suit that just looks so disgusting. But, you know, story-wise, I agree with you. It was pretty well paced as far as how he was changing throughout the movie. You know, once you hit that moment where he gets in the machine and he comes back out, you can almost instantly tell that there's at least something a little different about him but then it's like each time we see him it's just being piled on and then you have veronica who is trying to really figure out what's going on with him because he's being so weird and awkward which given that he was weird and awkward when they first met yeah isn't something that's too surprising but she can tell it's amplified in some way. So you have her 
trying to, you know, get this story from him. And she seems to be willing to work on it sort of long term. They fall in love and then everything goes south from the moment he gets out of that machine. And the thing is, he becomes exactly like her editor. He becomes arrogant and he wants what he wants. And she ends up becoming this object to him, too. Yeah, like, think about it, right? Like, in the beginning of the movie, he's just a story to Veronica. And then, you know, he turns into something more. But even with the interaction, like, with Tawny, when he goes to the to the pool bar and uh, he does the old uh, arm wrestle thing where he breaks the guy's arm or it breaks the guy's, yeah, hand. Even then, it's all about the teleportation thing. You know, he goes through it again even before he sleeps with Tawny because it becomes like this drug to him. Like even right before then when he does the whole gymnastics routine, he feels like it, it gives him some sort of superpower. And then from there, he just devolves into this creature. One of my favorite scenes in the whole film takes place in the third act when Veronica sees him for the last time. And he goes, in, this is after he goes into the bathroom and you see like kind of like the house of horrors thing where he's, you see all his appendages, like the, the ear, mm-hmm. uh, I would think the, the thumbs, like it was just like, it was like opening the fridge of a serial killer who takes trophies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so if you notice, like every time that Verona goes back to see him, the distance between them are, is further and further. And it even goes to where he's talking like, you know, Seth does this thing where he tries to inject some humor into it. Like, so he talks about the insect politics thing, but they're way like they're across the room from each other. They're having this dialogue. And he basically says like, you know, you got to leave or I'm going to hurt you if I stay. So he's like, I'm becoming more insect than man. The whole monologue of like, you know, I was an insect who dreamt he was a human, which, you know, I thought was just, uh, amazing like i didn't notice this until like i watched it again i'm like you know what every time they see each other other than you know um when he's like walking on stilts and he's like throwing up on himself and like he throws up himself for the first time they're farther and farther away from each other kind of like the divide of not only them two but human and insect yeah it is really crazy just what they were able to do with this given that it's an 80s movie too and i was really impressed at first i went into this i was like okay 1986 we'll see how it goes but because of who was attached to it and everything like that as i was watching it i was just getting so engrossed in this story in that moment you mentioned when they opened the fridge and his like appendages are everywhere <laughs> you're kind of just like okay that's interesting. One of the things I did want to bring up specifically, though, is the fact that even though he merged with a fly, it didn't seem to affect his brain, really, which I thought was an odd way to have him and a fly merge. You would think his brain would have diminished at a faster rate than it did, because he's still doing all of these crazy scientific things. But when you see that fridge scene you're like does he think he's going to be able to put these back on or you know kind of like what's going on here does he think he's going to be able to reverse this and in that moment you're like oh he's losing it (laughs) it's interesting you bring that up because now that i think about it and i kind of like wrote about it and thought about it a little bit you see as the movie goes forward and as he kind of um goes through the things he, he goes through the stages right so he thinks that initially because he doesn't see that anything is wrong with him he's got like these superpowers like he's like you know like he's the apex of man and he wants everybody else to kind of selfishly everybody to go teleport themselves through uh the pod okay so you had that and then as he starts <laughs> losing things like uh the computer doesn't even pick up his voice uh you know like he's turning he's like crawling on walls initially he's scared he's like oh okay maybe this is a a rare form of cancer and then he comes to the realization like he tries to rationalize it like 
all right, well, maybe there's a purpose for me getting sick or becoming a fly or, you know what I mean? Like he tries to turn it into his advantage. And then when he learns about the baby, which is another crazy subplot, um, he really, he, it really, now he turns into survival instinct of an animal. Now it's like, okay, uh, I got to preserve what's human, uh, what's left in human to me. And when stasis conveniently like goes to the computer and finds out there's a third pod, he's, he's merging himself, the baby and Veronica together. It seemed to me as you got towards the end of the movie that he really is starting to kind of think of more of a fly. Like he's starting to like think more of, okay, how do I preserve whatever the hell this is of me to kind of live on? Because if you think, think about like when somebody gets terminally ill, right? They try to go all like, okay, well, like maybe there's a purpose for me to get sick. Maybe there's a purpose for me to die. And then with the baby or anything, they're like, all right, this is, I'm not going to be here, but this is the way I preserve my legacy. So that baby is basically Seth's legacy. Now it turns like crazy as like fusing all three of you together. How the hell are you going to live? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, how do you like, how is that going to work? But then he starts like thinking irrationally again. And I think that's where the animal instinct comes in, where it's just, one frame of thing. Okay, I have to preserve this. Yeah, it's one of those things where you can see that when you boil the story down, it's really about the scientist who wants to make a breakthrough and takes it way too far. And as soon as he starts changing, you're like, oh, this is not going to go well at all. Because he got so in over his head that he couldn't undo anything that he did. And because he was by himself, well, he had the help of a baboon. So, you know, he wasn't totally by himself when he went in the machine. But yeah, I'm like, where, where do you get these baboons from? Like, I know. And one died. So I'm like, how does he explain that? Yeah, I was like, um, okay, did they just not want to use monkeys for some reason or mice, you know, <laughs> like the typical test subjects at the time? Yeah, even I, I think, and I think I may have like showed you this, but like there's like a deleted scene where um, a lot of people got a, a upset with the whole like mon monkey cat thing where like he tried to like teleport like a monkey and a cat and like it fused itself together. <laughs> That and there's a scene that's also cut where there's a fly appendage that comes out of Seth's like midsection and he chews it off. So like I know that like when we talked about it, <laughs> you were already like, oh, this movie's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly the last third of it that just amps up the gross factor, really. And you have these characters who you've grown to like and you like Seth at the beginning. So to see him take that turn and just become this monster, basically, both in personality and in form, you're like, oh, well, you know, that's really a bummer because by the end of it, Veronica is the only person you'd like, even though she does want to get an abortion. And they do try to make her unlikable at the end too so you have a whole lot of unlikable characters or characters you're not supposed to like by the end of this but i think veronica still comes out on top yeah that was by cronenberg that was an interesting choice like they're trying to have like the abortion in the middle of the night where like even you know status is like whoa 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 like maybe we should kind of like run tests and even the doctor <laughs> It's like, hey, man, like, maybe we should. She's like, no, I want this out now. Like, uh, have you seen Seth? Like, I've seen him and he, uh, like, I want this baby out now. So, like, it, it's interesting to see, like, Cronenberg's choices and trying to show, like, a dislikable side to everybody. But I think at the end, like, he tries to, I guess, redeem Seth a little especially with the choice i'm sure like we'll talk about it but like I, I find it like redeemable as his last like stage or last morsel of humanity left and the choice that he made 
Yeah. Do you think that what Seth was doing was more out of him wanting to be the one to discover it? Or did he really want to change the world? Because I feel like by the end of it, it's really hard to tell because he becomes so selfish. I feel that in the beginning, Seth really has like a right way goal as like he really did this, you know, and found do this like uh, this telebot thing as something that he really wanted to change the world and kind of do something. When he starts to be successful and he kind of gets Veronica, it's interesting because one thing, one thing in the movie triggers Seth to become uh, like he doubt himself and to make a really bad choice. And it's funny how like when he's talking to the baboon about it, the fly is just there. The fly is just kind of insignificant. And even in the camera shots, like when he's, you know, he's kind of like down on himself, like, uh, you know, when Veronica goes back to States, the fly just kind of like bounces around and it just lays on the window when nobody notices it. Like mm-hmm. it's the smallest thing that makes the most significant thing. And as Seth, you know, gets this power and thinks that he, you know, found an even bigger purpose, he be- it destroys him. It destroys him emotionally that we see and it really destroys him physically slowly so like i think that in the in the second and third acts it actually like he tries to keep pieces of himself like kind of like with the whole jokes and stuff Mm -hmm. but it turns him into a monster figuratively and then at the end old seth kind of comes back with the whole you know shotgun thing did you ever find it weird that the fly took over such a high percentage of him, given that, you know, humans are so much larger than flies in general? Well, it was interesting, especially like the end of the third act where she like removes his jaw and like his face kind of <laughs> like mutates. And I'm like, wow, he's just a, a full fly skeleton. Like, mm-hmm. How the hell did his DNA change? Like, I don't know, like the elapsed time that all these changes occurred, but I'm like, wow, his skeleton changed just like that. Yeah. That's actually a good question. I kind of like, th- like didn't think about, I, th- I think it's just kind of like survival. And I think Cronenberg talked about this because a lot of people thought that this was, especially it being in the eighties, being a metaphor for the AIDS ac- epidemic. And okay. Really, like he just kind of like went into like it's just basically about death and how death kind of comes for its all and like being terminally sick and and coming to grips with like you becoming sick with maybe a disease that you can't cure, even though you try to do the most irrational stuff possible. Like Seth tries to, you know, at one point he tries to see if the computer can like unsplice the fly in himself and the computer's right. like, yeah, I can't do that. But like, <laughs> then he, he goes like full mad scientist is like, all right, we're, we're going to fuse all three together. You know, when you get sick and say like, maybe like a cancer patient or something like that, they might go to alternative modes of medicine to try to cure themselves or chemotherapy or stuff like that, just to, as the last mm-hmm. stage. And then you come to grips. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to die anyway. So, Plus, because what he did was so drastic, he knew there was no way he could go to your everyday doctor and try and find a cure for this because it really was like his disease or cancer, so to speak, because he did something not realizing what exactly it would do to his body. And because he didn't see the fly, he had this variable that was unaccounted for so he had never put two living things in there together and obviously it wasn't his intention to do that he didn't know he was doing that but at the same time you can't help but wonder like dude if you just took a little more time with this and didn't get so impatient maybe you wouldn't have turned into a disgusting fly (laughs) it's almost like his punishment right like for him making that one rash decision you know like even with the stake, like he he had comes like, OK, well, he, he says it like uh, the computer is interpret, interpreting like 
the teleportation thing to be synthetic, you know, uh, like even when Veronica eats the steak, she's like, oh, this is off. And even knowing that, even knowing like it's not ready yet, he still, you know, teleports himself. And like, it's almost like with Cronenberg and, and like his rewrites, it's like a punishment to him for him making such a hasty decision. Like, dude, just like take your time. Like you just uh, teleported a baboon and it didn't die. It didn't turn it inside out. So like, you know what I mean? Like it's the whole like, all right, let's run this through human, you know, animal trials. And even she says like, maybe we should get the baboon tested. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to see if there are any yeah. like, anomalies. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, like let's celebrate. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, he seems fine. <laughs> yeah. Where the hell the baboon go? That that's where that's what I'm saying. Like the baboon that I don't got, know. Like, yeah, the baboon was like he had like listened to eat Seth. It? Yeah, like they even listened to Seth. <laughs> and then like he was gone. Yeah. You're you're kinda like, uh, did he eat it or did he just let it go? It's unclear because as time goes on too, you see that his apartment just becomes more and more disgusting. Oh, yeah. And I kind of want to backtrack a little here and talk about Seth and Veronica's relationship because I think that was something that was really good for Seth at the time. But then I think it made him overly confident because he was like, all right, you know, I got the girl. I'm going to just go for this. And he wasn't being quite as modest anymore. Even before he got into the machine, he was like, oh, look, someone's interested in me and also interested in my work. But then when it came down to it and she didn't want to go into the machine, you still see this turn in him. And he's kind of like, well, fine then, sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's funny because like the way Cronenberg does it, it's like, even when he gets to the victory, like fully having Veronica and like having like a uh, like a, a successful trial, it's like almost the beginning of his demise. Like you said, <laughs> like uh, she keeps telling him like and they alluded it to it was great how he did this, like when they're in bed and he has, you know, the microchip that goes into his back and that doesn't fully heal. And then. You keep on seeing the hairs and they grow and they grow. And, you know, when she when he's like, all right, you should go through the teleporting thing. She's like, no. And she keeps on t telling him, like, something's wrong. Like you went through and you are not yourself. And he keeps on ignoring her. She tells him twice. So he's not listening to her. And, you know, what I mean, like, it's funny how their relationship goes from like them being kind of like this partner not only like, you know, these love interests in this partnership where, you know, before this even happens, she's like, all right, we should go on a vacation together. Uh, he starts to tune her out and it goes into this madness of the science experiment. It's it's fascinating. Even when he like brings it, he's even willing to go to the bar and find like some random woman to like even to do the whole teleporting thing. He kind of like discards her. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. He uses her and then wants her to do something for him. It's like, uh, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah. The men with Veronica are very shitty. Uh, like, you know, like she has a bad, she has a bad taste of men. Like Seth started off cool and he turned into, he literally turned into a monster and then status is just a perverted creep and he becomes like since he was there before uh he becomes like a shoulder to cry on for her which is kind of fucked up in its own right because you know, like what he was saying to her before but she has nobody else to turn to yeah you want veronica to come out on top but in a way she still loses in the end this is a total lose-lose situation for everyone involved Oh yeah, no nobody wins. Like she loses she loses Seth basically because he fuses with the damn pod and she kills him because, you know, there's no humanity left and she's left with Statham's status. So like with how the movie ends, I love the movie. It just ends abrupt with her crying, 
with you know the pods kind of like shutting down and everything because there's no happy ending like there's no like nobody comes out on top nobody there's just no like solace for everybody like everybody was intertwined into like this really messed up situation and that's how it ends like i I would hate for it to be i think the original ending where like she like goes home and she dreams and like there's like this butterfly like this weird butterfly thing i think he made the right choice and ended abrupt and it just go fade to black that way that's interesting i didn't know that about the alternate ending if you will yeah look yeah look it up it's very weird like it's it's very like tries to like it's like this like whole butterfly baby (laughs) coda that like happens but i'm glad they cut it out it's very it's super cheesy yeah i think the ending they went with was probably the best one given what they're working with as far as how the characters have progressed and how the story has progressed because in a movie like this you don't need a happy ending in fact i don't think you want one because then it might feel less satisfying yeah i don't because like when you think about it you know is like you touched on earlier like is anybody really redeemable like you understand where veronica is coming from she's looking at the father of her child basically mutate into a, a, a fly human hybrid. But even when status is like telling her like, whoa, whoa, let's see if let's see if this is really true. She's just hastily like, hey, no, 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 no. I want this out. I want this out right now. He's like in the middle of the night. And he's like, yeah, I want this out. It, it's weird because they put him as him being the irrational one. And this is the guy who wanted to just have like some friends with benefits uh situation just to keep veronica around and then you know you have seth who's basically pushing the only person that like loves him away because he's becoming this creature and he's giving in to being the creature so you know like you kind of with how it ended and him wanting that mercy killing you kind of do feel sorry for him but you also remember like dude like every like your choice kind of got you here you know what i mean like you could you didn't have to go through the pod uh like you didn't really have to get so jealous like she said she was she said she was coming back she said she was like only like gone for a few hours if you'd have delayed the celebration like you wouldn't have been in this position but like his his mania drove him to basically becoming a human fly what's funny or ironic i guess you could say is that all of this is his own doing Nobody made him do any of this. And I feel like his apartment was the only one in this warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> like Maybe this was a little before the time when they really started renovating warehouses and turning them into apartments. Because how could nobody notice what's going on or all this noise and rampage coming from his apartment plus those machines probably sucked up the electricity from the yeah. entire building. Yeah, like think about it like and it was always so deserted when they would pull up. It's like there was no parking and they would just kind of just park in the middle of the drive there. Yeah, even when he takes you know the uh taxi back with Tawny, like it's just all desolate. It it just like it looks like a bunch of warehouses. Like he has a warehouse home. Even when the movie starts, like it starts at that whole conference, like it drops you right in to what the story is going to be. There's really just like, you know, Seth and Veronica just meeting. But like, it's funny because one thing I noticed as the movie goes on, the his warehouse, I guess his warehouse apartment, it gets darker and darker. Like it, it, like it becomes like less and less light. So I did notice. Yeah, that. like I thought that was a really cool like twerk. But I'm like, wow, like, you know, with him being a scientist and I'm like, how's he? I guess somebody's bankrolling this, right? Like he mentioned like the, the company that he was working for 
Yeah, he did mention funding. He also mentioned that they don't really ask him too many questions (laughs) because he's pretty quiet about his work. And he kind of just puts his head down and goes about his thing at the beginning. But then I have to imagine that they would have cut him off at some point after he just, you know, stopped showing up and, you know, wasn't reporting in or whatever. Yeah, I think status... uh he mentioned that he'd been at it for like 60 years. And then like when he was 20, he was, uh, he almost like did, he almost won an award, but like came up short. So I thought that was, uh, another interesting wrinkle where like Seth, his previous failures kind of, when he saw that, like something was actually successful, he just was kind of like a runaway, runaway train towards it. Like he just didn't know where to stop. And I think it was an interesting commentary on kind of like success and like where like you just kind of lose your brain kind of like chasing after the other one. So, yeah, it's I'm like, wow, like that's a pretty roomy warehouse apartment that he has. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, even though it comes really, really disgusting at the end, like you, you see all like the food and you got to imagine like he starts like oozing enzymes at the end like it had to smell like she veronica like even mentions like you smell terrible (laughs) like yeah visually they really nailed the look and feel of every moment in this movie you know at the conference everything's nice and bright when he takes veronica back to his apartment she kind of has this feeling that something might happen but then he ends up being a nice guy and you see how well lit everything is when he's showing off his machines. And then it just gets darker and darker, like you said. But not only do they nail the visuals of the body horror and everything that they put Jeff Goldblum through in this, but they also just nail the dingy look of the warehouse. Because by the end of it, it looks like a disgusting warehouse that you wouldn't want to live in. Yeah, it almost it's funny, like all like the environment around stuff kind of degrades with him. Like, it just looks dingy and dark and almost, like, disturbing. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, a real, like, I thought about, like, the whole, like, you know, like, uh, the the whole Frankenstein type thing where he's, like, kind of, like, in the lab and he's down, he's down in the basement and it's just, like, mm-hmm. cobwebs and, you know what I mean? Like, until he, like, has, like, it's a live moment. Everything just starts, yeah, everything just, even at the end, like, the last time that she visits him furniture's broken like you know what i mean like he's in the bathroom body parts are everywhere and the only thing that's clean or the only thing that's lit up is the pods and that's interesting too because i'm like where the hell did he get the third pod like was it there like i think it was the prototype yeah it was the prototype that he had still covered up yeah which would explain a lot too. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not gonna no, go I'm that. not going to go in that. <laughs> and like, I'm like, how did he attach this? So yeah, like, how did he like piece yeah. <laughs> this all together? He doesn't have really at the end like his fingers fused together. He's lost some thumbs. Clearly, he had the baboon do it and then got rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, how did he do all this? But yeah, it's interesting where like everything's not well lit, and even the stages of his face, like acne and then like his teeth become sharp and he starts to lose hair and then he gets more like pimply and bubbly and like he has this like nervous tick it's amazing how they did this with practical effects which is probably why they won an academy award for it (laughs) oh yeah like chris wallace and i think steven dupice uh, or duplice i'm sorry if i'm saying his name wrong but like yeah well deserved and then of course the score by howard shore like the it they allude to it in the beginning when they do the reveal and then it comes the full thing at the end like the score is uh, amazing and like it just seems like everything just came together yeah the brundle fly was such a great piece of work for this movie because they actually started with the final version and then kind of worked their way backwards for what Jeff Goldblum would look like going through these different stages of changes. And 
They did a really nice job. And I say that because they totally grossed me out by the end of it. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. You know, I recently watched the Tales from the Dark Side movie. And in the final segment of that, you have this transformation there too. And oh, I was like, yeah, she turns into like, uh, like some the like gargoyle. Gargoyle, yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, that was gross and well done, but this topped that. <laughs> she doesn't lose an ear. <laughs> yeah, but this topped that so much. And I was just really impressed with what they were able to do with that. Like even like the subtle like moments that he has in the bathroom by himself when he doesn't make the transformation where he's like, what the hell is going on? Where he's pulling off like uh, fingernails and then he's like, seeing all uh, like the enzymes kind of flow through like his fingers and he's like oh my oh, god yeah. like that was nasty <laughs> yeah and he's like oh my god like um, am i dying and um when she goes to see him and you see his even the enzymes go through his flannel shirt i'm like ugh, like it, this guy is just becoming uh ugh. you know what i mean like and then it seems yeah. like it gets a little better like he puts a shirt on but he's just all like tumory and he's even walking like almost like the hunchback of Notre Dame thing, which I thought like it was funny because, you know, the hunchback is all secluded in the, in the, in the tower and he's secluded here in the and warehouse. he keeps going up to the roof too. Yeah. They're like, and he sees her, you know, the whole like, you know, I want the baby out. Yeah. He, he sees her from the roof. Like it's, it's, it's cool. Like what Cronenberg uses and like the, Kind of like the story motifs that he uses throughout the whole like fly story. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, pulling out fingernails will never not be gross. <laughs> yeah, that was like, I'm like, dude, did that hurt? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you pull that out. Like, I would imagine like the 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 part of your finger has to hurt for a while. But then again, like when he's like typing into the computer, he does wear gloves. So he does find gloves to wear so he doesn't lose any more fingernails. Yeah. Well, do you have any final thoughts on this? I think for me, I just really liked how they kept this a tight cast. You know, you really only have three characters that you need to pay attention to for the entirety of the movie. And then you mentioned Tawny earlier, and we mentioned that Cronenberg makes an appearance as the gynecologist. But in the grand scheme of things, those are character bits that don't necessarily play into too much of the storyline because by the time Seth ends up with Tawny, we already know he sucks oh. and he's been horrible to Veronica. Oh, he's a, oh, he becomes a dick. Like the whole like, yeah. you know, what I mean, if you don't want to be like the dynamic duo, then I'll find somebody who will. Like I'm like, dude, like you completely discarded the whole relationship just because like you think like uh some this experiment enhanced to meanwhile veronica's like no something's wrong like you know what i mean like i'm cutting hairs out of you i went to a doctor mm -hmm. and these are insect hairs dude like you know what i mean like what do you what do you and he's, he's like you're jealous like you know what i mean like so his manic state completely takes over his rationality state like it becomes so much for him to have this experiment go right that he just completely becomes a dick. And like, at that point I'm like, damn, Ver Veronica can't catch a break with men. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like not yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. He's got a horn dog and then like an ass, an ass, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, like I said in the beginning, this is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it's only 96 minutes. It's, you know what I mean? Like, and that's a far cry. It's a good length for it. Yeah. You don't even feel it. Like you kind of like, it's just a quick tight thing between like a certain amount of characters. You don't need uh, a lot more than that. Uh, it's a far cry from, I guess, from horror movies now, which are like two hours and 45 minutes. I don't know if you've seen it chapter two yet, but like that's not just yeah, yet, that, but yeah, it. it's two hours and 50 minutes. But then you have things like ready or not that fall under the two Which hour mark and you're like, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely well done uh, It for Cronenberg. I think this is, you know, his most monetarily successful movie. I'm a big Cronenberg fan. 
Uh, he's like I said, like he's super into body horror. Like if you watch, yeah, uh, if you watch Video Drone with you know with basically the the gun that comes out of the uh, the guy's stomach, or if you watch Naked Lunch where people are like literally turned to the bugs or crash where like people get off on car crashes. This is basically the, this is basically like the run of the mill for him. But I think as a story, uh, as like this whole tragic situation, this is his best work. Yeah. Plus the fact that it was done on a 10 to $15 million budget is amazing given the makeup and the effects and all of that, you know, months of work probably went into those. And then it made $60 million at the box office, which, you know, to quadruple your money, I think a lot of studios would take that any day. <laughs> which is crazy because, like, he did, like, an interview in 2016 where he said that he's thinking about he's retiring because he was getting, like, difficulty financing his films. And I'm like, dude, he'd... If you look at all his films, like even to like a history of violence, they're not big budgets. Like horror, like horror would love that. Like look at like Paranormal Activity that made was made for like a hundred thousand dollars, or like these like small budget horror movies. Like they would like studios would love that. Like Blumhouse or New Line or anything like that. Like they would love to do that. And I'm like, oh well, you know, that sucks. Yeah, and. Even though not all of his movies have made as much as this one did, they've still made at least some money. You know, it's not like they've all been total flops. As long as, to me, as long as you're in the black, basically, <laughs> with your movie, if you make more than what your budget was, I think that's a good sign, especially given how many movies lately haven't been doing that. You'll see some that they just overspent completely. I mean, Dark Phoenix is a good example of this. And that is a huge movie that has huge studio, a huge cast behind it. And you would think that would have done well, but it didn't. So I think taking a risk on these small to mid-budget movies, especially for something like you said, Blumhouse, it seems like a win-win almost because... Even if you lose money, you're not going to be losing nearly as much money as any company putting out Dark Phoenix would. <laughs> yeah, I just think like a lot of his like with a lot of his films too, like a lot of them are very very weird. Well, you know yes, I mean? there like, is that. <laughs> yeah, like you know what I mean, like uh, like The Brood. You know what I mean? You have small children like eating and killing people. Yeah. And like this, like, and I haven't seen Naked Lunch, but that did totally flop. He spent, yeah, you know, the studio spent seventeen to eighteen million, and it only made less than three. So you know, you're going to have movies like that, though, and it's kind of something that has just been accepted in the film world. I mean, look at Dino De Laurentiis and how many flops he had to have before his company went out of business. It was quite a few, most of them being Stephen King adaptations, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I feel like, because like ba Naked Lunch is uh, based on like a novel. Mm -hmm. Like, it, like think about like just to say like what the movie's about. Like, it's it's basically people getting high off insecticide and, and like insecticide and like people turn like looking at bugs, like looking at like centipedes. It's a very weird movie that like may do well like critically. But at the box office, it, it's not really – it wouldn't command, like, a high – like, like a lot of people, like, seeing it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Dead Zone was – it was made for, what, like, $7 million and made, like, $20 million. A lot of people love it. But, like, his movies don't really lend as, like, these big, like – Theatrical releases, things. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like his have earned him a cult following – through home video releases, basically, or, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays these days as things become, you know, formatted for those. And I was just looking here and his last two movies, 
Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars are two movies I've never even heard of. So I think a lot of it has to do with the studios being like, oh, well, this is a small to mid-budget movie. We're not going to market it as much because you've kind of spent all, all of your budget. And, you know, with social media now, it shouldn't cost you millions upon millions of dollars to market a movie and get people seeing it. Or even, you know, maybe Cronenberg should consider doing something like signing a deal with Netflix, because then you don't necessarily need billboards. And I know Netflix has done billboards and we're getting totally off track here, but I would love to see more Cronenberg movies. And luckily I have not seen anything other than The Fly in the Dead Zone. So I have my work cut out for me. No, I think I, I think it's pretty much all. Oh, I maybe saw Crash, but yeah, there's a lot there for me to watch. <laughs> yeah, Crash is is out, out. Yeah, it's out there. No, just to like go back to your point, I think Netflix would be perfect for him. Netflix will spend the money. Uh, you know what I mean? They'll they're right there. Like other than you know, like The Irishman or like big releases like Roma and stuff like that. Like you don't really need like a huge budget because people. I've already prescribed to it and he can make the movies that he wants to make. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people have talked about this. Like, uh, I think they talked about like small budget movies and uh, I think like book smart, like great, you know what I mean? Like great reviews, like a hundred percent or close to that. Not a lot of, not really big box office. And I'm like thinking like, I don't know if it's really like the marketing. I think like, you, you know, we talked about, we talked about, movies like Avengers Infinity War who have these massive marketing budgets and it's just like if you're a smaller movie like you got to find other ways to kind of do it because at the box office those movies are going to dominate other than just word of mouth like you know what I mean like you'll tell me about a movie and I'm like all right you know like if the is telling me to go see it like I trust her like I'll go see it and then like critics are still kind of important but yeah, I agree with you. Like, Cronenberg should definitely look into Hulu or the tens of streaming services that are coming out. Like, it, yeah. they just announced another one today. So, yeah, and you're seeing a lot of big famous directors sign these kind of deals. If I'm not mistaken, Ryan Johnson just did that. Yeah, and even Ryan Murphy, like something like with Netflix exclusive deal of like something like uh, I think. $300 million. Yeah. To do and Shonda Rhimes too. Yeah. They got Shonda land over there. So like, I definitely think that while box office is still King, uh, obviously like if you've seen Disney lately, they have dominated the box office, but Netflix and things like those things, like uh, let's say uh, directors like David Cronenberg or maybe like a John Carpenter, or Ridley Scott, like those guys who, you know, maybe can't get like things financed and whatnot, can go to Netflix and just kind of do it there. Or go to Shudder because it's all horror, you know? <laughs> yeah, Shudder's doing Creep Show. Like they're financing Creep Show. Like just yeah. go do there. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's $3 a month. It's a deal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yeah. But I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Before we go, though, I want to tell all of you about our Patreon. You can support this podcast for a dollar a month. That will get you a shout out on the show or $5 a month. You can pick a topic for me and a guest to cover. You can also find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter, at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. Merjani, thank you so much for joining me to discuss this today. Thank you for bringing me back. It's always been a pleasure. Of course. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.